congregation after the sermon on the washing of the feet of the disciples, I thought, what's next? What is the next text I need to preach about? So I took again the chapter, John 13, and looked through it, asking the Lord for light to find a text to preach on. And the second part is on Judas, right? The second part of John 13. So I consider preaching on Judas. And then I saw a text I had never seen before. I just jumped on. And there was a text quite repetitive with glorify, 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 glorify. Five times in two verses. It drew my attention. I thought that must be so important in the Bible story about Judas. There's a connection between the Bible story of Judas and glorify, glorify. So the text is John 13, the verses 31 and 32. And as you see, that begins with the reference to Judas and then five times glorify. John 13, 31 and 32. Therefore, when he was gone out, Judas, right? Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Isn't that remarkable? Five times glorified. So Judas had gone out, and the Lord Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. So the theme for this morning is when Father and Son glorify each other. Three thoughts. When Judas was gone out, secondly, the Father glorifying the Son. And in the third place, the Son glorifying the Father. So when Father and Son glorify each other, the Lord Jesus and his Father will glorify one another. When? When Father and Son glorified one another. First, then Judas has gone out. Secondly, the Father glorifying the Son. And in the third place, the Son glorifying the Father. Congregation, the text begins with, therefore, when he was gone out. Who was gone out? From where? Why? What's happening? We see Judas leaving the room. He is gone out into the night, into the night. And when he is gone out, he was gone out. Jesus said, oh, now is the sermon glorified. 
it is Judas. An upset Judas. Maybe confused, maybe angry, very, very, very emotional. He left the room. He was one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. He was chosen as one of the twelve, right? He was called to go out to preach to earth. He did. He visited the people. He performed miracles. He was even the treasurer of the disciples. And nobody thought that he would ever break away from the twelve. However, we know what it says in Psalm 41, verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Lifted his heel against me to kick someone. So my familiar friend, in whom I trusted, that Judas, which did eat of my bread, has lifted up his voice, lifted up his heel against me. That's happening. We also read that in Psalm 55. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. So what happened? It was that Thursday evening, probably, and Jesus sat at the table himself, or rather lay on the side, and Jesus somewhere in the middle, I suppose, and John next to him, to the right, so the Lord Jesus could lean on his left arm and eat with his right arm, right hand, and Judas, I mean John, to the right of him, and I suppose Judas to the left of him, and the Apostle Peter next to John, so I see Judas Jesus, John, Peter. What's happening there? Now the Lord Jesus begins to speak there. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the scripture might be fulfilled, he that eat the bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So the Lord Jesus is quoting the text from Psalm 41. Someone will betray me. Someone will lift up his heel against me. Now I tell you before, beforehand, it comes, before it comes, that when it is coming, when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. So the Lord Jesus told the disciples that someone will betray him, one of them, so that the lady may say, well, the Lord Jesus told us, right? When Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit, the Lord Jesus was. The Lord Jesus almost crying. The Lord Jesus emotional. When Jesus had said those things, he was troubled and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
that one of you shall betray me. He was troubled in the spirit when he said that. He had a human nature, right? The Lord Jesus is not a machine, not just cold-hearted. He was emotional. Then the disciples looked at one another. One of us betraying him. So they look around him. Who would it be? The disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Is it him or is he the one or is it I? Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John, right? He was next to him, I suppose. And Simon Peter was next to him. So Simon Peter beckoned to him that, it should, that he should ask who it should be or of whom he spake. So I see Judas and Jesus and John and Peter, and Peter is saying to John, ask him. Ask him, who is it? He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? So John is asking. John is listening to Peter. He passes it on. Who, who is it, Lord? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. A sop is a morsel of bread. It's a piece. It's an order for peace. Morsel. So the Lord Jesus did not answer it verbally. He said, I will take a piece of bread. I will dip it in the sauce. I will give it to someone. And that's the person. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to him on his left side, to Judas. And after that sop, Satan entered into him. And then said Jesus unto him, that thou doest, don't do it. Don't do it. No, no. No, Lord Jesus didn't say that. He said, that thou doest, do quickly. Do it. Do it. Go. So the Lord Jesus was committed, was in charge, was in complete control. And he just said to Judas, I know what's on your mind. Go then, do it then. How tragic. Judas had such a beautiful name, right? Praiser of God. He was a chosen apostle. He was chosen, yes, to be one of the twelve by the Lord Jesus himself. Remember what Judas said when Mary poured out a costly ointment over his feet and hair. Mary poured out a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, 
and anointed his, the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Imagine. Such expensive oil over the feet of the Lord Jesus. And then I, I, I hear Judas making a comment. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son that should betray him, said, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? We should have given it to the poor. Not as wasted this is gone. We could have made it so much helpful by selling it. Why did we not, why was this oil not sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag, the purse, and bare what was put in. So Judas pretended. He lied. He said, we should have sold it. We should have reminded of the poor. But the real reason was he wanted to steal it. He wanted a part of it. He was a money lover. He was a thief. And the Lord Jesus let him now know that he knew him. Because you can deceive people. You can even deceive yourself. But you cannot deceive the Lord. And that's what he is aware of now. He is a hypocrite. Or if you recognize this, if you say, I have something too that I cannot let go. It's also a sin I continue with. Or does the ship have a leak? You can have two ships next to each other in the harbor. Completely identical. They look just perfect yachts. Perfect ships. One has a leak. It's the only difference. But it sinks, right? And so people can look like a child Lord and just everything looks perfect. The bow and the stern and everything. But under the water line is something you don't see, that leak. And so Judas had a leak in the ship. He was a liar. So he is leaving. He is going out of the room. He knows the place where Jesus probably will reside. And he leads the troop unto the Garden of Gethsemane. It's all around the corner. He is leaving, and Lord Jesus said, Do it quickly. Because for the Lord Jesus, it was his time. Apparently, his time. And the Lord Jesus, I think, has given him over to his own heart. 
has hardened him, has let him go. He had to do it. So Judas could not stay any longer. He left in the dark night and he broke away. Is this not a sin against the Holy Ghost? I would think so. I think this is very close to what we read in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Let me paraphrase that. It is about people once enlightened, once tasted of the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, something, have tasted the good word of God, tasted it, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, it is impossible for them to be renewed unto repentance. So awfully close to God's kingdom. So emotional. Having tasted, having been enlightened, having been made partakers of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, future oriented. If they shall away, shall fall away, you, you can't renew them to repentance. So the Lord has given Judas over to his own heart. So it is clear. Not all disciples are saved. Not all ministers are saved. Not all elders are saved. Not all deacons are saved. Not all communicants are saved. Not all professors of faith are, are saved. Some are unconsciously deceiving themselves. And some knowingly. And some God's people in weakness. That's different. We know that David also sinned, right? And Peter denied the Lord. And Paul persecuted the church. But it's a different. Judas lifted up his heel against the Messiah. And he knew he was the Messiah. The Apostle Paul was also pursuing the church and Christ, but he did not know it. He was ignorant about it. But Judas exactly knew who the Savior was. He even believed that Jesus was the Savior. And yet he denied him. Yet he betrayed him. So now he was out in the dark night, literally and figuratively, he was out. Therefore, when he was gone out, so now have only 11 disciples left with the Lord Jesus in that room. How do you think is the Lord Jesus responding to that? He's leaving. And by the way, the disciples didn't think much of that. They thought, you know, he has gone for an errand. Because there's a whole week of feasting. 
the Passover is all week. So therefore, maybe he needs to get some groceries, some, some things, and they just ignore them. But the Lord Jesus knew better. And Lord Jesus, how, how did he feel about it? Was he sad? Did the Lord Jesus say, Oh, this is so painful for me. Did the Lord Jesus say, Oh, I did not want this to happen. Did the Lord Jesus say, I feel overwhelmed with sadness. No. The Lord Jesus didn't say that. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. See that? That drew my attention. Judas leaving and the response of the Lord Jesus about it. Our second thought. Therefore, when he was going out for a purpose, Therefore, it is not accidentally, no, it was on purpose. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now, this is my hour, this is my time. Now is the sermon glorified. He was expressing appreciation. He was expressing gladness. He was expressing faith. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. The disciples had no clue what was happening. But the Lord Jesus was entering into the last phase of his life on earth. Last piece. He is stepping over that last threshold. Now the time is coming of Gabbatha and Gogotha and Gethsemane. So before that, the Lord Jesus steps over the threshold, and this is the threshold. The sending out of the Jews. Now, now it starts. Now the real thing is going to happen. Now the Lord is going to fulfill the promises. Now it becomes really serious. Now it becomes really beautiful. <clears throat> now is the Son of Man glorified. The Son of Man is the Lord Jesus himself. Right? So the Lord Jesus is talking about himself. And now, shortly, it's around the corner. Previously, we heard the Bible writer stating that his time had not come yet. John 2. There was that change of water into wine at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Jesus saith unto the woman, unto his mother, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. 
And in John 7, they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And in John 8, these words paid Jesus in the temple, in the treasury, and he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. So this is the hour. Now, he says, that for when he was gone out, he said, now is the time. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Now is come. Jesus glorified. There's something. So what is the meaning of that? The Son of Man glorified? To be glorified is a lowly word. To glorify someone is to give honor, to give shine, to give brightness, to give light. So some stars are more glorious than other stars are. It's the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon. It's the splendor. It's something looking magnificent. So the Lord Jesus is saying that. He said, now is the sermon glorified. He is lifted up. He is being able to shine. You would say, really? Is that glorification to be captured? To be tried? To have a crown of horns on your head? Is that being glorified? And a cross and the pain and the death and the thirst, is that glorifying? Really? Yes. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the sermon glorified. There is so much glory in the death and the suffering of Jesus. The Father glorifies him, even his own Father, and hopefully we as well. We glorify Jesus for his willingness to step over the threshold and to begin the last phase of his life and to experience those hellish agonies. The time is fulfilled. The time has come. Does the Lord mean that he had been glorified because he was teaching and for wonders? Was that glorifying as well? Some say that is, that's what it was. He was glorified before. Glorified because he was doing miracles. He healed people. And he spoke in such a beautiful way, his servants. Yes, but no. It says now. He was close to his father. Very close to him. And he was willing to suffer. He was committed to suffer. He was courageous. He was trusting his father. 
and the best hour had come. Because the Lord Jesus had this purpose in mind. He wanted to die. For the joy set before him. He loved to die. He was not reluctant at all. He was not unwilling. He was not forced. Nobody coerced him. It was his willingness. It was his love. And therefore the Father glorified his Son for this. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And you see in the next verse, if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him. God shall glorify him in himself. So in the deepest sense, I don't know how to express that, the Father glorified him in himself. Beautiful. Some elements also in the future we're going to be glorifying the earthquake and the opening of the graves and the rending of the veil and it is said it's finished and the yield of the ghost. They're all very beautiful things. But the real beautiful thing here is that he suffered. We need to realize that. The Lord Jesus did not come to be born. He did not come to preach. He did not come to perform miracles and to give people comfort. No, he wants to be the Lamb of God. He desires to be bruised. He's willing to experience the hell's agonies. He wants hell for himself. And that hour has now come. And the Father glorifies him. The Father, I see it in reverence, says something like, Oh, this is my beloved Son. He is willing to do this for my glory. And I honor him. And I glorify him. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But maybe you say, I'm not so convinced, minister, that this word now refers to the suffering and the death, and that the glorifying of God refers to him suffering. Well, let me go back to John 12 then, verses 23 and 24. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Similar, right? And then the next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. See, see the connection? The connection between the hour is come, the son man be glorified, because he will die. 
Or in verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came the voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. By the way, will glorify is 25 times in John. Such an important keyword. It's all about glorifying Jesus and glorifying God and those two in the Holy Trinity glorifying one another. Or John 16, verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. See that? I don't think there's any question about that. That this now refers to the time of his suffering and that the Lord Jesus glorified by his Father for his willingness to suffer. Or John 17, verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. See? That's the background. I've never seen that verse before. I always skipped it. I only thought of Judas. But there's an interpretation here. There's an application here. The Lord Jesus said on purpose, John, or Judas was leaving, and the Lord Jesus said, this is the time. This is the time that the Father glorifies me, and I glorify the Father. This is the best time ever. The best time ever for, for you too. Do you like the time? Do you like the time that Jesus said, this is my time. I am going to die. Do you say that it's even a better message than the message of Christmas? That's the best I can hear. And are you also joining then? Joining the Father in glorifying the Son? Do you have those moments that you glorify the Father? That you glorify the Son? Or is your believing only in something in your head? Is believing just a mental choice? Is believing you something cold? Is believing something not experiential? Don't you know what it means? Do you? Have you those times that it shines and that it lights up so beautifully that you say, Lord, I can't hear a better message. I love to hear it. And I glorify it. Let me illustrate it. Explaining what it is to glorify There was a man who was paralyzed. You know that story, children. 
and he wanted to approach the Lord Jesus to be healed. He was too busy. So his friends went on the roof. They opened the roof and they lowered that man in front of the Lord Jesus. And he was laying there and the Lord Jesus spoke about the forgiveness of sins. And he also healed him. And then I read this. <clears throat> but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he rose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, in so much that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Never seen something like this ever. So beautiful. They're impressed. And that is glorifying God. When people say from the heart, we never saw it on this fashion. And so the Lord surprises his people still on earth. So they begin to see things they have not seen before. Because it's so new, so precious, so unique, so incomparable, that they say, we never saw something like this. Glorifying God. Similar to the angels in, in Isaiah 6, surrounding the throne and saying, holy, holy, holy. Is that not glorifying God? Is that not say we have never seen something like it? Or think of this centurion. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. So have we ever glorified him? If we've never glorified Lord Jesus, from the heart, that you miss the true saving faith. If it is just the idea you told yourself to believe, you told yourself you have to make a decision. It's okay, I make a decision. From now on, I believe in Jesus. My sins are forgiven. No. No. It is the Holy Spirit bringing it to your heart and giving you humility and brokenness but also this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Glorifying the Son. You know that already happened before, right? When the Lord Jesus was baptized, right? A dove came down, and a voice was heard. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. But this is a few steps further. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is this sermon glorified. 
If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. That's going to happen now. Straightway. Immediately. It doesn't take long anymore. This is the time. This is the day. And the Son is in this way glorifying the Father. Our third thought. Congregation, why does the Lord save the people for himself? What's the reason? Does the Lord want company? Is so the Lord needs people? Is the Lord so kind? Well, the deepest reason for salvation is that God seeks his own glory. That's what we read here. Therefore, when he was going out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, so God be glorified in Jesus. God is very God-centered. I repeat that. God is very God-centered. And rightly so. Because God knows himself. He knows himself perfectly. And God has the highest thoughts of himself. And loves himself first. And is doing all things to his glory. And therefore he has sent his only son. That people also glorify him. And that he will be glorified in him. In his son. Now you will say, that does not sound good to me. It sounds kind of selfish of God. That he's doing all things for his own glory. You're not supposed to do that. It's wrong. Yes, that is wrong for you and for me. Because you are not worthy of all the glory. So don't ask all the glory for yourself. That's a sin. You don't deserve that. But God knows that he deserves it. And he's doing all things for himself. You would say, still does not sound good to me. As if God wants to be happy himself and that people are forced to serve him and to worship him and do their best and cannot enjoy it. No. God knows that if people know him and can glorify him, that they experience the highest, most perfect form of joy. That is joy. That is real joy. When you see God loving his son and the son glorifying his father and that you may glorify God for who he is and for whom he glorifies. 
Let me prove that from the Bible. Psalm 130. There is forgiveness with thee. Why? Why? There is forgiveness with thee, right? That thou mayest be feared, worshipped, glorified. So that is why there is forgiveness. That God will be glorified. Or Psalm 23, verse 3. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. For his glory. And it is perfect. That is beautiful. That is sweet. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. And shall know that I am the Lord, when I have wrought with you for my name's sake. See? Think also of John 11. John 11 is about the sickness of Lazarus and Lord Jesus coming too late. It was not, it was not his hour. And Lord Jesus delayed, right? And he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God may be glorified thereby. He is my Father glorified, that he bear most fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. That's not the side of the story. Right? The Father is glorified by the Son, by his obedience, by his faithfulness, by his willingness, by his courage. But the Lord also wants to be glorified in our life. And how can the Lord be glorified in the hearts, in the lives of his people? Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Judas had never glorified God. He glorified himself. He glorified his money. He glorified this world. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. You see the present tense and the future tense here? If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. So it is in now and then shall. Did he ever have glory? Did Adam and Eve have glory in paradise? In a certain sense, yes. How much glory do we have left? Zero. We have no glory anymore. We don't look beautiful. We don't look impressive. We look ugly. There's no glory in us. 
But I read in 2 Thessalonians 2.14 something surprising. That unto he calls you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. So, that's why the Lord is preaching the gospel. That we may obtain that glory as well. Glorified also in that sense that we receive the glory. Congregation, the Father and the Son are together. They know each other. They delight in one another. They love one another. They work together. It's beautiful. I have much more here on my, on my sketch that I have no time for. But ask yourself the question, do you know something of that glorifying? Have you seen the Father glorifying the Son? Have you seen the Son glorifying the Father in all that he did? And have you glorified them as well? Have you experienced that glory? That, that, that glory? And has God laid some of the glory on you? Or what will heaven be like? Proclaiming the glory of God. To say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And to bear much fruit. And to be with him who has so extremely loved us. And to glorify him from God. This is the time. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And today is the time of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Amen.